The gang is back together. Yay. 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 This is Anna and my two trusty co-hosts, Cece and Lizzie. Woo. And we're talking about Backstreet Boys. Finally. Finally. <laughs> Backstreet's back and so is This Must Be Pop. <laughs> yes. Season two coming right at you. Did we take a hiatus? Yes. Unlike most boy bands, we actually came back from ours. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. And actually fun thing about hiatuses is Backstreet Boys is probably one of the only boy bands to actually take a by definition hiatus. We love men who stick to their word and come back. Yeah. (laughs) When they said Backstreet's back, they meant it. (laughs) Yeah. They didn't leave us hanging. I'm looking at you. One Direction, NSYNC, etc. Backstreet Boys were formed officially in 1993 in Orlando, Florida, aka the boy band capital. Since their beginning, the Backstreet Boys went on to become one of the longest running and best-selling musical groups of all time. In their almost 30-year career, the Backstreet Boys have released 10 studio albums, 9 in the US, 31 singles, countless number one hits, and millions of records sold. They have been nominated for nine Grammy Awards, never winning one because, remember, no boy band besides Boys to Men has ever won a Grammy. In between 1995 and 97, the Backstreet Boys were huge in Europe before finally gaining success in 1997 in the United States. Most would consider their prime years to be in between 1997 and 2002 during the height of the bubblegum pop era, aka the TRL era. Aside from a couple years hiatus, an actual hiatus, as well as their member Kevin leaving the group for a bit, the Backstreet Boys are still together and continue to make music and tour to this day. With the evident influence of black R&B boy bands like Boys Two Men before them, because let's be honest, the Backstreet Boys were created to be a white presenting Boys Two Men, but the Backstreet Boys really redefined what it meant to be a quality boy band in the 90s. We would not have NSYNC, 98 Degrees, O-Town, etc., if it weren't for the Backstreet Boys. So in this episode, we're going to discuss their discography. But first, let's get into discussing the band, their members, as well as our own origin stories. For those who don't know, here are the Backstreet Boys members, and we are going to talk about them from their highest range to the lowest range. So we've got Howie D. He is a tenor or high tenor, and he sings mostly the high harmonies. I will be saying like higher and low harmonies, but one kind of cool thing about the Backstreet Boys, especially with their harmony arrangement, is a lot of them will sing the higher harmonies and the low harmonies. Like they alternate a lot with it, which is really cool. It really goes to show their level of range as singers. In terms of Howie's role, he's the business savvy one of the group. He's making a lot of the business decisions behind the scenes, which I don't think a lot of people know about. I have to say, when it comes to the Backstreet Boys business decisions, their songs, their collaborators in the past like 10, 15 years, their social media, they do a really, really great job. So I have to give a lot of credit to Howie because of that. One interesting thing about Howie is he was the lead vocalist when Backstreet Boys first started, as explained in the Show Him What You're Made of documentary. Now he's become more of a backup singer. He has a lot of solos now and has always consistently had solos, but that is just one kind of point of contention. That's, and it's an interesting dynamic with Howie too. So during this prime era, Howie was really marketed as the shy one. And we've talked about this a lot in the One Direction episode where the shy one is usually given to typically the one of the guys of color in a boy band like Zane was in One Direction. And We saw this similarly with Howie. To quote Maria Sherman's book, Larger Than Life, The History of Boy Bands, the label of the shy one at worst and most frequently is a racist demarcation of a person of color in an otherwise white group. And this applies to Howie due to his Latino background. So next we have Brian. Brian is a tenor or higher tenor. In terms of his role, he is the goofball of the group, but he also has one of the smoothest vocal abilities ever at least in his prime had his the sweet soulful voice it sounds almost effortless when he sings he's one of the leads of the group 
one thing to note is he's actually been battling vocal dysphonia for the past 10 or 11 years. So his voice, while it's better, it doesn't sound the same that it used to. Like you're not going to get the same Brian Littrell. His voice sounds a little bit more husky. He's done a lot of work on his voice for the past 10-ish years, but it's not the same. And it and it is a little sad to see. We saw it, I mean, at the concert. Yeah. It was, it's the beginning of the concert. He was awesome. Was I mean, he was awesome the whole time, but, <laughs> but his voice sounded like the original Brian. Yeah. And then as things you know, continued, you could tell he was starting to struggle to keep those like really high notes or those really long notes. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, I remember looking over at both of you and, and, you know, making eye contact cause there was like one, one point where mm-hmm. I, I could see him like struggling to, yeah. to keep it. Yeah. But I appreciate that. Like he still is trying, he's yeah, still exactly. showing yeah. up and like that the band has really kind of rallied around him and not been like, Oh, your oh, voice, yeah. which is like the pillar of your career. It's like struggling. Okay. Goodbye. Exactly. They've really found ways to like work with it and like, and I know you'll Show get to it, a but true like, band. yeah, there's like yeah. others who've stepped up. They've made it work. I, I feel like they've rearranged their harmony arrangement a little bit because Brian now is a little bit more comfortable in a higher range. Because with vocal dysphonia, what happens is it's by tightening your, your vocal cords. So when your vocal cords are tightened, that's how you can sing in a higher range. So that's how he's able to make certain notes and not make other notes. A lot of his vocal therapy that he goes through is about relaxing those vocal muscles. But yeah, he has his moments where he sounds awesome. And then he has his moments where he struggles. But yeah, like you said, Lizzie, it is really nice to see the support that they all have. And that really speaks to the group mentality that they've always maintained throughout their career. Did he have an accident or something that happened? Or is this just like tired vocals after years of like touring and albuming and all that? Or is it just one of those things that happens. That's a good question. I can't imagine that he wasn't taking good care of his vocal cords. I think it just happens due to overuse. Yeah. And Brian Littrell is probably going to go down in pop history as having one of the best voices. We hope him all the best and we hope that he continues to make really good progress with his voice. According to the University of Michigan Health, muscle tension dysphonia, or MTD, is one of the most common voice disorders. It occurs when the muscles around the voice box are so tight that the voice box does not work efficiently. No one fully understands what causes MTD. It usually begins without warning or explanation. It may be caused by irritants such as an upper respiratory infection, passive smoking, acid reflux, or excessive demand placed on your voice. Sometimes, more than one of these factors are present when MTD begins. You know, seeing him live a couple months ago in comparison to the Show Him What You're Made Of documentary, I can definitely hear a huge difference in how he's singing. I just love Brian so much. <laughs> like every time he went up there, I was like, oh. I was such a Brian girly back in the day. And then I saw him singing. And I was like, oh, I'm still a Brian girly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Times changed by allegiance to Brian does not. No. Nope. <laughs> I would also honestly say the same about AJ, but we'll get. Yes, we'll get there. Actually, we got to talk about Nick first. So Nick, a lot of people don't realize that Nick Carter is actually a baritone, but he actually has a pretty wide range. He's got a three octave range. He He's also a tenor too. So he's a baritoner and he weaves between the high and the low harmonies. In the beginning of his career, he had more of a nasally voice when he was younger, but he's really changed his vocal technique and he sounds he sounds like a grown man now and he actually he sounds a lot better. Like I think his voice has really improved in the past few years. One thing that Nick Carter fans really like is he sings with a lot of emotion. Whether or not you actually li- like the sound of his voice, especially during like the nasally years, his emotions come through. He put everything he had into, am I sexual? Everything. <laughs> Which is like concerning given that what, at that time he was like 15. Oh my, <laughs> But I like know. he put everything he had into that line. He was like, I'm going hard on this guy. It's hold on. <laughs> but he still continues to go hard on that line. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think now it's almost, you know, that line has become kind of a, a meme. And yeah. like, you know, the, the younger generations are like, did they really... S- say that and then they all responded yes (laughs) Yes. (laughs) and so I did I feel like now when they perform you know in 2022 or whatever that it's almost they're like almost playing up to that yeah you know to that specific line in that song because it is really weird to be like asking your bros am I sexual it would be weird to ask my girlfriends (laughs) it would be weird to ask any of my friends that like you know 
Yeah, definitely an odd line, but one that stands, but it stands out for us all. <laughs> it does stand out. And that kind of goes to the role that Nick Carter played within the group of the Backstreet Boys. He was marketed as the heartthrob. So even though he was 15 years old singing that, that was the record company's way of saying, this is the one that you need to find sexual, which I did not personally. But if you guys did, I that's was totally not a cool. Nick Carter. Like he was not a heartthrob for me. But no. also, I mean... If you look at NSYNC and Justin Timberlake was kind of pitched as the heartthrob there exactly. and same, uh, you know, I never, I was always JC girl. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, it was definitely a similar dynamic because I mean, and we can, we'll get to this, but, or we can get into this now. NSYNC was molded very similarly to Backstreet Boys in the fact that they had the young heartthrob. Mm-hmm. So Nick Carter and Justin Timberlake were adjacent in that way. And then they had the, a little bit older brother with a soulful voice and that was Brian and JC. Other than that, like there's definitely variances between the two bands, but those are the two that were molded to be in that same dynamic. Yeah. Okay. So now we're at AJ, who is my favorite member of the Backstreet Boys and has always been my favorite member. AJ is a baritone and uh, tenor as well. And he also weaves in between the high and the low harmonies. Also has a three octave range. He's a really great contrast with Brian because Brian has at least in his prime, the sweet, sultry voice. And then AJ has this like big, powerful husky voice. So they complement each other really nicely. AJ's role in the group, he was marketed as the bad boy, but now has often taken the role of the go-to interviewer and media personality and as the face and voice of the group. You see this a lot in different kind of pop music documentaries. AJ is usually the one talking on behalf of the Backstreet Boys. He's also, at least in the very beginning of the Backstreet Boys, the rapper of the group, <laughs> as noted in Get Down. They're like, oh, the yeah. bad boy can rap, it's fine. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But that kind of also goes to, so AJ's also part Latino, same as Howie. That also is kind of the outing of the people of color within the group. Like, AJ, even though you're one of the lead singers in the group, you're not the heartthrob. You're the bad boy. You're the exotic looking one. Mm-hmm. You're the rapper. So it was kind of a way of them to other him. Even though AJ killed it in everything that he did. But <laughs> it was very clear structure that like yes. the producers or whatever had a vision in their mind. Exactly. That was going to sell. Yeah. I feel like AJ has just had like such a beautiful arc. What a redemption story. I just. Seriously. I, he was what a unbelievable at the concert he truly i mean Mm -hmm. i liked aj you know back in my og backstreet boy days but i would say brian was probably the one i liked the most but at this most recent concert we went to i mean i was like oh my gosh where did he come from like you know personally just because i didn't probably pay attention to anyone but brian (laughs) (laughs) i was like brian better watch his back because aj is coming for that top spot (laughs) there were some songs and i was like whoa whoa hold on a second i mean i i've always loved aj yeah when we saw the dna show listeners that was actually the first time that we had all seen the backstreet boys live and i had seen him perform live on like different specials and everything but actually seeing aj live in concert i was like yes this is confirming for me that aj is my favorite yeah he's worth the hype (laughs) worth the hype i can't can't believe that was the first time all three of us had seen them well I mean, back to AJ's arc, I was supposed to see Backstreet Boys back in 2001 on their Black and Blue tour. And then AJ, unfortunately, was dealing with substance abuse issues and they canceled the show or they rescheduled the show. You know, it's just a shame that they marketed him as the bad boy because I think that kind of gave in to his substance abuse a little bit because he's like, oh, well, I have to play the part. I have to play the part. Exactly. And I think I think, yeah, I, I think that kind of played into it a it's little bit. It's like a bit. self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit, right? Yeah. Like, oh, you are the bad boy. Make sure you're acting bad. Yeah. When, like, was he the bad boy or was he to. a soft, squishy marshmallow? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. It does make me wonder, you know, like, I'm. we were the target audience for this this band. Exactly. And did we need a bad boy? Like, I, like I'm trying to think back. The heartthrob I get, mm-hmm. but I don't think I... You know, when I was looking at bands, I was like, well, who's the bad boy? Mm-hmm. You know, like, so it's just interesting to me that it, it, they felt like it was necessary. Yeah. There's definitely a male gaze going on when they construct boy yeah. bands for sure. Cause they're like, oh, well, a lot of these girls like a bad boy. Yeah. Which 
Who was the bad boy of NSYNC? I was just thinking about that. (laughs) There wasn't one. Some people that argue that Chris Kirkpatrick was the bad boy because mm, he had crazy hair. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, just a visual thing. But uh, I'm sorry. Well, honestly, maybe they learned from the Backstreet Boys by the time NSYNC came around. Like, I don't know. Yeah. AJ was a very quintessential bad boy through and through. Like, he had the look. He had the stage presence. he, He had the the powerful husky voice like it, Do you have tattoos okay so i had to fact check this about aj's tattoos he has a bunch now but i wasn't sure exactly when he got them apparently his first tattoo was in 1997 so he's always had them as a backstreet boy aj's tattoos are significant because it's a stark contrast to the somewhat clean image that other boy bands had previously this really helped solidify aj as the quintessential bad boy for better or for worse he definitely had piercings, though. Like, he had a nose ring, he had a bunch of earrings, okay. and he always wore yeah. the black nail polish. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's... Which in the 90s was like... Was, yeah. Yeah. That was. You were... So, yeah, kudos to AJ for, you know, staying sober and just being just an awesome human being. They this did an this... an AJ stan account. It is. That's actually what <laughs> this is about. <laughs> they did a song, and I think it's off the DNA album, which I haven't heard, but... Um, where they showed all the clips of them with their families and like oh, their kids yes. and their wives. That's, and it was so precious just seeing, you know, seeing the bad boy. Like when that song makes me cry. And I'm pretty sure he boy. only has daughters too, which he somehow does. is yeah. like even cuter yeah. when you see like this big, like tattooed guy who like just absolutely melts with like yeah. his little kid in a tutu goes running by and yeah. he's like, I want to match. Like just so sweet. So sweet. Yeah. That's um the no place music video. It's so cute. I make, that song literally makes me cry every single time I hear it. So cute. I feel like we grew up with them a little. Like yeah. they're older, they have families, and like I think they kind of said that at the concert of like we're older and we have families now, and you might be older and, and have families. Yeah, they were like now. most of you are probably older with families now. Like, yeah. yeah, and, and there were, there were definitely people that had their kids there too. Yeah, which was which was kind of fun, and a lot of people. You know, there were a lot of guys at the show too. Let's pause here because okay. we'll, I want to talk about Kevin. Yeah. Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> so Kevin. So Kevin is a baritone or low baritone, and he usually sings the low harmonies, but he actually has a pretty wider range and can sing higher notes. He has always been the older brother of the group, and he's actually 10 years older than Nick. He's the sensible one, keeps everyone in line. This was very evident in the Show Him What You Made of documentary. And he left the group for some time. He went on Broadway he just wanted to pursue other interests, you know, did a lot of things that he wasn't able to do as being a part of the Backstreet Boys. And then he came back and the band was better than ever when he came back, in my humble opinion. That's my dream for Zane in One Direction <laughs> 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 is that they just go their separate ways and they're like, just kidding, we're back. Yeah. Better than ever. Back like we never left. I mean, with Kevin leaving, like there wasn't any like ill will against him. Right. They were just like, yeah, you do you, bro. When, like, was, when was this I want about s- that he left? I Hold think on. he was Sorry. on Never Gone. He was on Never Gone and he left after that. So I want to yeah. say it was two, in between th- 2006 and 2012. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was six years, 2006 to 2012. Okay. And I love that he came back and everyone was like, hey, buddy, welcome back. Yeah. And yeah. he just like, he's really grown on me. I feel like in the past I was like, eh, Kevin, whatever. And now I'm like, Kevin, yeah. oh my goodness. A lot of people feel that way. And I think- it's one of those things you don't realize what you have until it's gone. Kind yeah. of yeah. <laughs> like he was, he was a, he was a grower on me. I was just like, oh, like now I'm like, oh, I love Kevin. Yeah. What a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that a lot of people feel the same way. And it was so nice being at the show. Every single time Kevin had a little solo, people would be freaking out. There were, uh, there were so many fans of each guy in the in the group yeah. and so each time one of them had a solo there was some you know like Section. number of people that were screaming <laughs> for them I, I was like oh this is so equitable and nice everybody <laughs> likes everybody yeah. else they're like I also felt like Kevin had the best outfits of the night yeah. like although all right listeners it was like 107 <laughs> degrees when we went like no joke it was the seriously hum- so hot and humid and humid the sun went down and you're like why am i still sweating oh, and nick carter came out in like a, a leather, leather jacket. jacket 
they were dying on stage yeah. too and they kept saying like god it is so hot and then there's kevin in like a knee-length trench coat and i'm like kevin <laughs> he did I love it wildest outfit like, <laughs> i'm like you are looking great but don't suffer in the but name like- of fashion it is so hot <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to get into what makes the Backstreet Boys so great as both a boy band and a band in general. So a lot of people talk about their longevity, which is commendable. They've definitely put in the work to being a band for that length of time and have done so consistently throughout their career. You saw this in different struggles that they've had as a group with Lou Pearlman, you know, both AJ and Nick's um, struggles with sobriety and also with Kevin leaving too. There were just some pivotal points that could have broken them up, but it actually made them a lot stronger as a group, a family and a band. They're much more ballad heavy than a lot of other boy bands, but that was actually really smart of them to do at the very beginning because one, there's a timelessness to their songs. Like you can still listen to all I have to give on an adult contemporary station and the sound holds up because they were able to establish themselves in the adult contemporary market. Like I said, it was a very smart business decision for them to do that because they've maintained being in the adult contemporary market and they did so naturally. Their harmonies are fantastic. Their voices blend perfectly. And I like how they have three leads as opposed to one or two. I think what it does is it creates a really interesting dynamic You can have a song like The Call, but you can also have a song like Quick Playing Games With My Heart, and they all sound like Backstreet Boys songs, but they can all maintain different sounds. All five guys in the group had their moments to shine, like Howie and Kevin all had solos at some point, at least in Millennium and in Black and Blue and then all of the albums that came after. But, you know, like Cece said, when we went to the concert, there were fans for all five guys. And they all supported them. And it was, it seemed pretty equitable. Again, that really goes to show the group mentality that they've always had consistently throughout their career. There was no one main person in the group. Yeah, there was, Nick Carter was like the heartthrob, but he wasn't presented as the lead singer. Right. Which I think other boy bands do have that, you know, mentality where there's like, but this is the lead singer and then everyone else is kind of the backup or whatever. That was never the case with these guys. It was always, you know, Nick is the like blonde hair, blue eyes, heart throb, whatever. But he was certainly not the one getting the most like vocal spots. There is one exception though, and we'll get to it, but it's, I need you tonight on the millennium album. He's the lead singer. He's the only solo lead singer. And he's, yeah. He's got like 95% of that song. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking if you say One Direction, most people are going to say Harry Styles. If you say NSYNC, most people are going to say Justin Timberlake. But if you say Backstreet Boys, I think you're going to get five different answers. Well, I think most people would say Nick Carter because he's the most well-known. Yeah. Yeah. He's the most well-known, not for the singing. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Unfortunately, it's for other things. Yeah. 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 Which we are not going to get into with Nick Carter, just in case if anyone's looking for that we're not a gossip podcast no we're talking about music here so kind of back to that group mentality I mean the thing is Brian had the voice right and I think and and then you also had AJ too so I think what it kind of did was especially with the three leads it, it did make things a lot more equitable it just it just did I don't know that they've had like a bad song. Like there are definitely songs I'll skip because like I'm not in the mood for like, a power ballad at the moment. I feel like every song is just like a bop. You're like, oh, great song, great song, great yeah. song. Well, not to talk about I Need You Tonight again, but. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a fan? I'm not a fan. Just like I'm not a fan of Gone by NSYNC because that yeah. song is like all Justin Timberlake. I want a song that kind of showcases all their voices. I don't want it to be 90% of one person singing the entire time. Yeah, if I wanted to listen to Justin Timberlake, I would listen to Justin Timberlake. If I want to listen to NSYNC, I don't want to hear only Justin Timberlake. I'm here to listen to the harmonies, the different solos. Like That is what makes a boy band work is that there's so many different aspects and they marry each other and like when all five of their voices come together, you're like, chills. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. We cannot talk about Backstreet Boys without talking about Shea Ron Studios, started by Dennis Pop. That's where we got Max Martin from and all of the other Swedish songwriters and producers. So they were a newly established studio in Sweden. They had a very specific idea of what pop music should sound like. 
and Dennis Pop, Max Martin, Rami. Th- there were so many Swedish songwriters and producers that came out of it, but they single-handedly created all of the music that we know and love from the late 90s, early 2000s. Like we wouldn't have Baby One More Time. We wouldn't have Tearing Up My Heart. We wouldn't have literally every single Backstreet Boys song. Like, like I want it that way. I want it that way. We've got it going on. Quick playing games with my heart. Like literally 80% of their songs, at least from their first three albums, were from Shayron Studios. I just want to emphasize how much more the Backstreet Boys worked with Shayron compared to other groups at that time. Compare Backstreet Boys' Millennium album, which has eight songs from Shayron, with NSYNC's No Strings Attached album, which has two songs from Shayron. It's clear that the Backstreet Boys were the more frequent collaborators with Shayron. And I think the Millennium album is a Max Martin album, <laughs> just as much as it is a Backstreet Boys album. The Backstreet Boys were actually the first musicians from the United States to record songs with them. They have consistently worked with them through most of their career. And their relationship early on, and the Backstreet Boys working with them so much, I mean, they really, really guided them through their career. And that's that's why the Backstreet Boys have incredible songs. So one thing about kind of the Swedish pop music mentality is they focus on a catchy hook and melody. And melody is king and everything is secondary. Everything is there to service the melody. This philosophy was really started by Dennis Pop and Max Martin was his protege. And Max Martin just took it to a whole other level. Unfortunately, Dennis Pop passed in August of 98, just as things were really ramping up in pop music during that time. But Max Martin has really carried that torch since then. Dennis Pop had a philosophy that pop music should not be boring. It should be really exciting. Max Martin, he is only topped by John Lennon and Paul McCartney for the most number one hits of all time. And another fun fact, Max Martin actually has a metal background. He used to be in a metal band. (laughs) A lot of the other guys from Sharon are also metal guys too, which is really interesting. Interesting. He collabs a lot with Taylor Swift. Oh yeah, he does a lot of Taylor Swift songs. I think he was a lot on like her 1989 album and I think Reputation too. Yeah. Jack Antonoff, Max Martin, okay, Taylor yeah. Swift. That's the holy grail, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I think style, blank space maybe. Yeah, like I want to say he was heavily involved in 1989. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That was like my first. They were like, she's working with Max Martin. I'm like, who is this Max Martin man? Let me learn everything. <laughs> yeah. Listeners, I highly recommend you do a Max Martin deep dive if you have not already. And there's actually, there's a Netflix docu-series called This Is Pop, not to be confused with our podcast, This Must Be Pop, but uh, there's an episode about Sharon Studios, highly recommend watching it, super, super interesting and fascinating. But yeah, so you can see kind of, you know, this mentality of pop music, what it should be, that it should be fun, the melodies are key, focusing on the harmonies and having a catchy hook. You can see this in almost every single Backstreet Boys song that comes from Sharon Studios. Okay, origin stories. Let's just take a few minutes to talk about that. First time we ever heard Backstreet Boys, first kind of moments of realizing our love of them, pivotal moments, things like that. My Millennium CD is burned into my mind (laughs) as like a very defining CD of my youth. Like in the same way I had the Spice World cassette tape. I just remember getting that and being like, oh my gosh, like I don't know where it came from. I don't know if I wanted to buy it. I don't know if it was gifted to me. Those all white outfits on the, oh yeah, like the the bluish greenish. Oh yeah. um, Yeah. Cover. Like I, I can still see it in my mind. uh, (laughs) like the flash behind them or whatever you would call that. Yeah. I feel like that's the album I identify with the most. I would have been like nine. So it's definitely like on the younger side of their probably like target audience. But for some reason that one just like really sticks out as like, I took it with me everywhere. And just, I think I've talked about, they came through on their tour when I was in probably like elementary school and I was so sad that I didn't get to go and girls would come back the day after the concert and they'd still have the glitter and confetti like artfully (laughs) arranged in there (laughs) you'd be like oh you have something in your hair they're like yeah Nick Carter put it there personally like I just I was so sad that I didn't get to go to the Backstreet Boys I think probably my parents were like you are seven what are you doing (laughs) I, I think I was just a little too young you know for that 
So that's why like I really enjoyed seeing them on tour all these years later. It felt like a redemption for my elementary school self. Like I'm going to the Backstreet Boys on a <laughs> weekday and no one can stop me. <laughs> Watch me. Um, on a school night? How dare you? On a school you? night. Like... <laughs> And, you know, they had a lot of outfit changes throughout the night on the tour. But, you know, at one point they did have all white outfit. You know, each one is kind of like tailored to their own style. They're coordinating, but not matching, if that makes sense. And like when they marched out in their all white outfits, it's like my millennium moment is here. Nobody speaks to me. (laughs) Love that so much. I don't remember specifically like how I first started listening to them. I do remember the Backstreet Backstreet's Back album as being like the first one. So the Backstreet Boys U.S. debut album is called Backstreet Boys. But in Europe, there was the Backstreet Boys debut release in 96. And then in 97, it was Backstreet's Back. So there are some Americans that actually have the Backstreet's Back album that was from Europe. And I think a lot of people think that their U.S. debut release is also called Backstreet's Back. Well, because the song... Oh, yeah, yeah. Is on that album. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, that's... So that album that you're talking about, yeah. Backstreet Boys or Backstreet... That one. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's the same cover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is the one that I, like, remember having. But I don't know if I was, like, at the Tower Records store and saw it. I, like, I don't remember what brought me to pick it up. But I listened to it nonstop. And I remember distinctly playing it in the car with my mom and dad, maybe my brother... And we were listening to the MI sexual yeah. line, right? <laughs> but I was like, he's not, he's saying, and I set you up, which like, I don't, that's, that doesn't make sense in the, in terms of the song. But I remember trying to convince my parents that's what he was saying because I didn't want them to tell me that I couldn't listen to the Backstreet Boys anymore. <laughs> and I just, I've never forgotten that. And now when I look back, I'm like, that wouldn't even make sense in the, in the song at all. <laughs> Although these are, you know, Max Martin songs and the lyrics a lot of the times do not make any sense. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah I mean, we've already the, talked the next about part of that lyric is yeah. his friends saying, yeah. So, like, <laughs> that already is a weird lyric yeah. that doesn't make a yeah. whole lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's really what I remember. And uh, Backstreet's Back was obviously, you know, like a fun song, but that album had As Long As You Love Me, mm-hmm. um, All I Have, yeah, All I Have to Give. Mm-hmm. And those two, I think, also really stood out to me. And then I believe um, there were two on the European release, but I don't think at the time I knew there was, because, because the song is Backstreet's Back. And I'm like, from where? I don't, I don't I recall thought, where I you went. I have thought that so many times. <laughs> yeah. I always think it's on the Millennium album because they're like, oh, yeah, saying like, that we're would back. Make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, where did they come from for <laughs> them to be back? <laughs> where did they go? <laughs> I but it, I mean, at the time, I definitely didn't know that they had yeah. released an album in Europe. Like yeah. the, I wasn't same. following the European same. pop charts. Same. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking, I thought the same exact thing because I was like, yeah, like where are you, <laughs> yeah. where, where are you back from? <laughs> Like, why I just back, met you? I just met you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow, that is like very confident to be like, we're back. I'm like, <laughs> never Dang. met no. you, but okay, welcome. To, to be specific, oh my God, we're, we're back, back again. again. Yeah. <laughs> Which made a lot of sense at the concert because it was like, oh my God, they're yeah. back again. Yeah, exactly. And no, I'm so glad you said that because I thought I was the only one being like, where are you no, back from? I was I've like, never yeah. met you. Yeah, yeah. Um, it makes so much sense when it's your sophomore release or when it's your debut yeah. release. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't quite compute. And that was like the first single off that album. I don't know. I, I don't recall. When it comes- Because I had the whole album. I don't remember. When it comes to their singles off of the first album, it is so confusing from a U.S. perspective because all of these songs were released in Europe first. Yeah. And then they came over to the U.S. They officially released certain singles at certain times, but- I remember hearing a lot of these songs on the radio before the official single came out because they had already been released in Europe. Yeah. Like, um, as long as you love me, I specifically remember hearing that on the radio in the summer of 97. Okay. That didn't officially become a single until October of 97, but I remember hearing it on the radio because that was one of the first times that I had heard that song. So it's strange. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. The early years are very, very weird. When they when they decided to release the album in the U.S., did they have some sort of like 
Disney show or TRL. I'm personally trying to think like, how did I hear about them? And so like, were they on TRL maybe, or were they on? I feel like one day they just appeared in my life. I have no idea how they got there. I think specifically like why I picked up that album. Yeah. Right. It's interesting because I, I was trying to figure this out too. And they don't have a moment like NSYNC did. Right. Where it was the Disney Channel special and that's where everyone found out about them. I think that with Backstreet Boys, it was, it was just different. There was a lot of buzz about them coming from Europe and then they finally released their album and then it kind of finally like snowballed and snowballed. But yeah, they don't have like a specific moment. They did go on TRL at the very beginning, like a lot of those other yeah. groups did. Quit Playing Games With My Heart was like a TRL staple. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the moments that got a lot of people in the U.S.'s attention, but they don't have this like big moment. Just thinking about, do you remember that U2 album that just appeared on everyone's iPhones or like iPods? Like, (laughs) is that the Backstreet Boys? Like, (laughs) they just appeared one day and you have no idea, like, they're back. All of a sudden, like, six of their singles were on rotation (laughs) in the top 40 radio. They came out of nowhere and you're like, all right. Like, Like, that's how I felt when I got the U2 album. Like, "Eh, all right. It's so funny. My mom doesn't use iTunes or whatever Apple Music now, but her car sometimes auto connects to the one on her phone, and the only thing on there is that YouTube album. Because <laughs> I look and I'm like, "What are we listening to?" And I'm like, "You definitely don't listen to YouTube. Like, I know you didn't download this, but it's <laughs> and it's still on there twenty years. Later. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I was just like, we'll put it on there. We won't tell you how to get it off. Yeah, <laughs> so crazy, so crazy." Now we are going to get into the Backstreet Boys' debut album. Again, listeners, please note that we are discussing the self-titled American version of the debut album, released on August 12th, 1997. The songs featured on the album are a combination of the songs from the European debut release in 96 and the European Backstreet's Back album in 97, respectfully. I... I was partial to Hey Mr. DJ for some reason. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's not a great song, but for some reason I just loved singing along to it. Yeah. I think it's because a a lot of it is AJ. Yeah. Not the whole thing, but especially when they performed it live on their pay-per-view special, you're like, I think that was the moment where I was just like, oh, AJ, I love AJ. So I do have like a little thing for that song because of that but I mean in terms of the album overall Brian was definitely the most prominent lead singer on most of these songs and then AJ and Nick alternate and then I think that specific song it was it was a lot of AJ because they put AJ on a lot of the like hip-hop and Mm R&B sounding songs because you know he was the rapper (laughs) quote-unquote the exotic one I guess I don't I I don't want to say that but but that was like that was the perception like we are not saying that yeah Yeah. we are saying that somebody else said he is the exotic one therefore he will be rapping yeah Yeah. that was definitely a choice made by somebody not us um not us we are just reporting on that choice if you had to choose as long as you love me or all I have to give Ooh, as long as you love me all I have to give (laughs) <laughs> we can't Perfect. agree on anything Flawless. okay which one would you pick uh as long as you love me i just like i don't care who you are because it's creepy when you think about it now it is um if you're it dating is. if you are just dating, love me i don't care, I, don't care. I literally don't care anything about I have no standards just somebody love me bars on the floor it's in the basement <laughs> as long as you love me was the first backstreet boy song that i ever heard so there is something special in my little heart for mm-hmm. that song. Yeah. But I, after kind of going through their discography and realizing how gorgeous all I have to give is, it's, it's <laughs> an, that's, I think that's my favorite Backstreet Boys song off of this entire album. I thought you were going to say of all time. And I was like, wow, okay, we're making like, that is a statement. statement. We'll get to that. Not of all time. Yeah. I have others. <laughs> I mean, um, t- I love both of those songs. I was just curious because I know. They, they are competitive, those they, two songs. People are, are. Very, feel very strongly about them. Yeah, they are, definitely. It, it is interesting, though, because I feel like both of those songs still hold up sound-wise. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You have other songs like We've Got It Going On, and even Quit Playing Games to My Heart to a certain extent with the percussion, they sound very outdated. They just sound very 90s. Yeah. N- not in a bad way. It's just like if that came out now, you'd be like, whoa, this <laughs> song mm-hmm. is from the 90s. Yeah. 
I wonder if part of that is like the Max Martin effect because he was producer writer on some of these songs and he's still a producer writer on other songs i could pop this on a playlist with some of taylor swift's 1989 and i wouldn't be like oh these are from 20 something years apart like they feel more seamless a little bit to a certain extent like we've got it going on was written by dennis pop Max yeah. martin and herbert krishlau and produced by martin and pop that definitely has a very like euro pop 90s sound mm-hmm. to it oh yeah we got the aj rapping in that song too <laughs> yeah I mean, quit playing games with my heart. Like I said, that was a TRL staple with the iconic music video where they're all like soaking wet, mm. especially Kevin with the shirt <laughs> off. Is that a core memory for you? I remember that Maybe. music video. How, what? I was, was going to say, this is not like ringing a bell me, for me. They're soaking wet, what, in a pool? No, or? it's like rain. I don't know if it's not necessarily rain. They're just wet. <laughs> How did they get wet? They're back and wet. <laughs> back in... No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> I mean, it's like a quintessential like boy band yeah, music like, video where they're all soaking wet. But why? <laughs> we don't because they're they're don't ask don't ask silly don't questions. Ask. <laughs> do we need to take a break and watch this video? I, I, yeah, like, we do. We might. Abs and abs. Like that's it. That's our gonna concept. be a couple <laughs> clips where it's just someone's stomach. Wow, that was a journey and a half. Wow. Yeah, so that music video broke all of the records I, at TRL. I bet it did. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, in the Show Me What You're Made Of documentary, Kevin talked about that music video, and he was like, that wasn't exactly what I wanted to have my U.S. debut as, <laughs> but it was really big. It was. I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like that. Nick was in puberty, so he couldn't sing that song. And I was oh. like, we didn't mention Oh, yeah, I don't remember talking that. about that. I, may have, it's I okay. may have skipped that part. But yeah, so quit playing games with my heart. Nick, I, I feel like this is why Nick Carter isn't really featured on, like Brian is more of like the vocal lead is because Nick Carter is going through puberty. You, That's very evident with quit playing games with my heart because it's a lot of it is Brian. Brian sings the first verse. There is a demo version of quit playing games with my heart where it's all Brian. And then what did they add Nick in? They added later? Nick and AJ in later. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I, I remember I was actually at TJ Maxx one time and <laughs> quit playing games with my heart started playing and and it was the Brian version. And the, I was like, wait, what? There is a version with just Brian literal. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> we already talked about as long as you love me. That's the next song off of this. So this is also written by Max Martin, produced by Max Martin, and also Christian London. Became an MTV staple. That also has a very iconic music video. That's where Brian met his wife, who he is still with to this day. Kudos to him. Due to an error with the label, an early demo version in some copies of the CDs was sent to radio and also like on physical CDs that some people have. Max Martin was not happy about this, but that version is still kind of floating around because due to that error some people have it and that's the version that they know um what are the differences is it like so you know words different yeah a little bit the instrumentals are a little bit different and then Mm. you know at the beginning of the song you hear brian say as long as you love me Mm -hmm. that's gone that's like in the middle of the song it's so random interesting yeah it's really weird super catchy song one of their best next is back she's back Oh my God, we're back again. Oh my God, we're back again. <laughs> I already talked about this, but written and produced by Dennis Pop and Max Martin. I love, I actually personally love Backstreet Boys' more up-tempo songs. They make beautiful ballads and mid-tempo songs, but when they do an up-tempo song, they like take yeah. it to the max. Yeah. I love this music video. And it's October, everybody. Spooky season is here. This was a really good music video. Oh, so much fun. I don't think I've seen this. What? Okay. I know. I'm sorry. We're going to have to watch it because it is very good. And it is like iconic. It is More iconic iconic than the rain one, I think. It is iconic. I feel like they were trying to be like, they were trying to make their own Michael Jackson's Thriller music video. Mm. It's very inspired by that. Oh my God, we're back again. It's also like, I don't understand how it really relates to the song, but. Oh, very spooky vibes right off the bat. Yeah. You glad you saw that now? Oh my god! Yeah. Thoughts. My life can be split into before I've seen that and after. And after. Yep. <laughs> How yes. has this been in the market for twenty something years, and I've never seen it? Man, Lizzie, I. 
That was a movie, like a real movie. <laughs> it's definitely an ode to Thriller. It's super fun. That was also during the time when they spent like $5 million on. I was going to say, I feel like videos. we don't have videos the way we used to. Yeah. And I love a good we video. We also don't have like a medium to play them, right? YouTube. Uh, I'm not going to get into the whole like, MTV doesn't play music videos anymore. But <laughs> but we grew up watching TRL, like a yeah. show that was literally counting down the top music videos of that week or yeah. that day, whatever. There isn't anything like that anymore. Like it's on, yeah, you have to go on YouTube. And, and so. And like everyone's always shattering each other's records. Like yeah. Taylor Swift broke One Direction's record. So they broke her record. So somebody else broke Harry Styles record. I feel like Taylor Swift does really good videos still. She does like stories with hers. She's yeah. always been like a music video girly. One Direction has some good videos, but nothing like that. Yeah. No, that's a classic yeah. And I can't believe they spent $5 million and those were the teeth that they gave Brian. <laughs> Bring back music videos. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm paraphrasing. It may not have been $5 million, but it was a lot of money for lot of those money. teeth. Yeah, those were like <laughs> the dollar teeth that yeah. probably glow in the dark. Like, come on. I do have to say, I think the other reason why music videos are not, there's not as much money going into them is it doesn't cost as much to make a good quality video anymore. Mm. So you like, you could make a good quality music yeah. video on like an iPhone for like 300 bucks total, which Harry Styles just did. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So, he just did that. Yeah. But I mean, I think the the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway of this music video for me is the amount of backup dancers that they had. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That probably is what cost them the most money on top of the scenery and everything that probably cost a pretty penny too. But yeah, I mean, super fun. Anything else that we want to say about this song? Violently sexual for 15 year old Nick. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. I feel like the sound still holds up, literally has become a wedding staple. Every single wedding that I've been to, including my own, this was a song that was yeah. played. It was also used at the end of the movie, This Is The End, uh, that 2014 movie with Seth Rogen and all those guys. Super fun. It won like an MTV movie award for like best music moment or something. Hmm. Okay, next song is All I Have To Give. This is one of the few songs on the Backstreet Boys debut U.S. album that is not written and produced by any of the Swedes. So this was written and produced by Full Force. Many people may know Full Force as the group that appeared in the 1990 comedy film House Party. They were the bullies of Kid and Play. Hmm. Listeners, you may know. Cece and Lizzie do not know. <laughs> I think All I Have to Give is, has one of their, the best displays of their harmonies on this album. They're really plush. Uh, <laughs> I think that's one way to describe yeah. it. Both AJ and Brian have an awesome power note in this. And I just feel like the structure of this song is a little bit more complex. Maybe it's because they worked with different writers and producers on this. But it just it sounds a little bit different. And I feel like it's just more intricate. They also recorded an acapella version of this song too, which is why I really like this song because it, it just really features their voices in like the best way. And this song was actually pretty significant to Howie because this was the first single that featured a solo portion by Howie. As we kind of talked about, Howie actually started off as the lead singer in Backstreet Boys and then he went to backup. And his, the Howie D sound, as he says, <laughs> wasn't exactly the lead person sound for the group. And all I have to give was Howie finally getting his chance to step up to the plate and show the world who he is as a singer. He was very thankful to the producers full force saying, dude, why don't you get more leads? So he always really liked this song because of that. The next is Anywhere For You, cheesy 90s Europop ballad. Nick's voice sounds significantly younger here. You can really tell the difference. The interesting thing about the Backstreet Boys debut U.S. album is half of it's taken from the first European album, half of it's taken from the second European album, Backstreet's Back. You can tell which ones were recorded first, <laughs> mm. especially with Nick's voice. When Nick sounds like a baby, those were definitely earlier songs that they recorded. Next is Hey Mr. DJ. We talked about this. AJ is more prominent on this song. Very hip-hop influenced. I still kind of feel like it's a bit of a filler, though. Mm -hmm. Now we're getting to I'll Never Break Your Heart. One of the other few songs that's not written by 
one of the Swedes. So it's not written by Dennis Pop or Max Martin or produced by them either. It's written by Eugene Wilde and Albert Mano. And actually, Eugene Wilde wrote Dear Diary by Britney Spears on her Oops, I Did It Again album. I feel like the first half of this album is awesome, and the second half of this is not so great. I'll Never Break Your Heart is actually the one exception that I will say is on the second half of the album that I really like. It was like a very front-loaded album. Definitely, for sure. For sure. It's like front-loaded album and then filler for the most part. You know, a lot of people may be like, justice for Get Down, or if you want it to be Good Girl, get yourself a bad boy. But oh my honestly, God, that song. <laughs> honestly, honestly, mm, sorry to break it to you, but I don't think that those are quality songs. But I'll Never Break Your Heart is definitely exceptional in the second half of the album for sure. I can't believe that I forgot to bring up the fact that this song is heavily influenced by End of the Road by Boys to Men in the overall sound, rhythm, and pace. Boys to Men's influence on the Backstreet Boys should not be overlooked or understated. No disrespect to I'll Never Break Your Heart, but that sounds much more 90s, ballady, yeah. outdated. Yes. Not in a bad way, just more like, oh, that's not from this decade. Yeah. <laughs> Next is Darlin. This is like such a start. It's so outdated sounding. It just sounds like cheesy 90s R&B. Kevin with the like bass intro. Hey girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. And then we got Get Down. And this is, oh, AJ is rapping in this one too. Come on girl and get down. <laughs> yeah. This, I don't know the rest of the rap. Like move it all around. Yeah. Hit it with this. Put you at the top of my list. Oh. That's how it is. I feel like Get Down is a fun song, though. It it's, is a fun song. They performed it at their DNA yeah. show, which I was very surprised about. Yeah. That's down, right. Get Down. <laughs> this is a music video that they did not spend a lot of money on, though. <laughs> it's so bad. I don't remember this one. It was it was um, released in Europe. That's why. Yeah. 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 Euro pop filler, in my opinion. Next is Set Adrift on a Memory Bliss. This is actually a cover. I think it's kind of a boring song. I'm sorry. I couldn't sing one word of it. It's not a very no. memorable song. What is a memorable song, though, is If You Want It To Be Good Girl, Get Yourself A Bad Boy. And is by it a memorable song? Well, that is a very sexual title. My goodness. What's interesting is it's mostly Nick. Again, oh, poor Nick. 15 years old, being super sexualized. Ugh. Yeah. Have you ever heard this song? No. Oh, boy. Do we need to play this for you? I oh, could use a refresher. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm not... Like Moroccan, like... Yeah. Yeah. It's very weird, and, like, why is it there? It's a weird sound, and then the, like, percussion, is, like I said, is so late 80s. It literally sounds like an old New Kids on the Block song from the late 80s and early 90s. I remember even listening to this in 98 being like, is this a really old song? So if the label originally wanted that to be their debut single, I feel yeah. like I can confidently say that would have been the end of the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> oh, 100. Yeah, no. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think they would have... People would have listened to that and been like, no. Yeah. When yeah. I, I couldn't believe that when I saw that it, when I was when I was doing research for this album, that the label was trying to push this as being their debut single. I, I, it's shocking, honestly. It's yeah. shocking. And Backstreet Boys have, have talked about it for years, saying that this is their least favorite song that they've ever recorded. I mean, can confirm. My God. <laughs> We listened to one verse and I was like, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. And and again, just Nick Carter being 15 years old with those <laughs> lyrics. Jeez. He, he was hypersexualized at such a young age. It's, it's yeah. Yeah, that's really sad. Yeah, it, it is sad. It is sad. Okay. All right. On to happier times. Happier times, a.k.a. Millennium. Millennium. Thank you so much for listening to part one of our Backstreet Boys episode. Tune in to part two, where we discuss their albums from 1999's Millennium until their most recent album, DNA, released in 2019. Add us on Instagram for more content and to be the first to find out which band will be featured in the next episode at This Must Be Pop Pod. That's This Must Be P-O-P-P-O-D on Instagram. Got a question or suggestion? Email us at This Must Be Pop Podcast at gmail.com.